1: Welcome Auburn into the Wednesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoie, and I'm joined by Brant Daughtry on the show this afternoon as uh, we have another full edition of the program today. We'll recap what's been going on so far this week in the football transfer portal. As Auburn has a, a couple of guys here over the last couple of days uh, adding to their 2023 roster. We talked a little bit about them yesterday, but we'll continue to talk about them today. We'll update you on uh, Jani Broom at the NBA Draft Combine and see if he gets going uh, in the next scrimmage here. I know they've got scrimmages throughout the day. Uh, we'll keep you updated on his NBA Draft Combine. Also, talk some Atlanta Braves today. Also, talk a little bit, maybe if we have time at the end. Uh, about uh, the NBA postseason and draft lottery from last night. And, of course, all your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-341, locally or toll free one 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Also a little bit today about uh, some potential news in the college football world. Yesterday we talked a little bit about the the scheduling of uh, the first few marquee matchups of the year. Uh, in the last couple of days, there's been murmurs around the ACC about some schools being a little disgruntled, So we'll get into the ramifications of that and and the ACC potentially changing their uh, payout structure for college football and for these programs, giving, uh, the teams that succeed, more and more of the fun. So we'll talk a little bit about all that today and more. Again, birthdays in sports and nightly TV guide, as always, Ryan and Brant coming to you live today. Brant, hope you've had a uh, – well, I, I know you've had a little <laughs> bit of a battle so far this week, but glad to see you today and hope you're doing well.
2: Yeah, I caught some crud over the weekend, but I'm feeling a lot better now. Uh, glad glad to be back in, in better health. Uh, and glad to be on the show for the first time this week. Like you said, there's a lot that's been going on, a lot of uh, – a lot of portal news to get into, some scheduling stuff, uh, murmurs that FSU, not murmurs, I mean confirmed reports that FSU is unhappy with the ACC, certainly think that they could look to go to a different conference soon and uh, the SEC would be the most likely landing spot so FSU could be in the a- SEC, uh, which should have happened I think 30 years ago was the first time the SEC tried to make that happen, but uh it, an interesting development there, and, and you touched on the portal stuff. A lot going on. there. Auburn. Uh, I'll, I'll give my initial reaction to that, and we'll get deeper into the weeds a little bit later. But I think Auburn has officially raised its ceiling and its floor. I mean, I, Auburn has gone from a team that I thought their max was uh, probably eight wins. I think they've bumped it up to nine. You know, I, I think that if thing if everything goes absolutely right, I think they might could win ten games. I'm not saying I expect that to happen. I'm saying that with the additions to the roster, if everything falls into place and they get a little bit lucky, that is now a, a, an outside possibility, which I would not have said uh, two weeks ago. So it's been a it's been a really impressive portal season. It continues to be that way. Um, I, I'm sure we'll talk about basketball at some point because that portal's still open, and uh, a lot more in the world of sports to get into. that scheduling, the structure of the college football playoff is going to be interesting as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and. Of course, uh, a couple days away from Auburn Softball Regional, as they will be in the Clemson Regional.
2: Boy, well, yeah, thoughts um, on that. Yeah. I have thoughts on that.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely uh, been talking about that the last couple of days. Auburn Baseball gets set for their last regular season series as they take on Missouri Thursday, Friday, and Saturday inside of Plainsman Park. As a matter of fact, if you're listening to us in just a little bit, a little bit later in the show, we will have – a baseball ticket giveaway. So be on the, the listen out for that. Uh, but we will open again uh, with transfer portal as has been uh, the common denominator amongst a lot of these, these shows the last month or so. And that's because Auburn football and basketball have had very eventful times in the portal, at least uh, especially of, as of late as Auburn football adds, uh, just yesterday, we told you about one in pretty good detail. And that was the big play wide receiver, out of North Texas, Jair Shorter, uh, who committed to Auburn just prior to the show yesterday, but then at the end of the show, Auburn got another North Texas player, Larry Nixon, the third, a linebacker. Uh, both these guys only have one year of eligibility, so clearly, guys, that's if they're going to make an impact, that Auburn's going to be right away. But but, Brent, with these two guys coming over from North Texas. Uh, what do you see? I know you mentioned that kind of the totality of this spring has made you uh, believe that the ceiling and floor have been raised just a little bit, but it but uh, in particular, these two guys, uh, what did they bring to the table?
2: I think when you brought in Peyton Thorne at the quarterback position, you answered by far your most pressing need. Now your knee, now your your lenses turned to the other stuff. And I think that linebacker and wide receiver were the two most un- or the two most questioned rooms. And now you've added two veteran leaders to those rooms. I don't know how good these guys are going to be, but they are seniors. They are guys who have been productive. They were teammates last year, uh, so they've they know each other well. They they were productive players on a pretty good North Texas team. I think North Texas was pretty good for what they are, um, and they, you know, I I don't think that. These guys are, you know, these aren't going to be All-Americans. These might not even be all-conference players. But you're adding production at positions of need. And right now that's what Auburn's trying to do. They just, they continue to go out and get guys. And it's been, you know, I, I've made it no secret my questions that I have about Hugh Freeze, but he has gone out and he's recruited very well.
1: Yeah, I think this program has been very self-aware of what it's needed yes. the, the last few months, and, and uh, they have been – Targeting obviously, as you mentioned, they had been targeting a quarterback for a while. Uh, they they had to wait till the very end to get the guys they wanted on there. We talked to Justin Ferguson yesterday of the Auburn Observer, who, who basically said Auburn was just not going to bend its standard, and that they were going to wait for guys they felt could actually m- improve that quarterback room. They had to wait till the very end to do that, but they ultimately did. In Peyton Thorne. And and so now you you turn your attention. You know, quarterback's not a position that, you know, they already had a couple guys that they at least like to be uh, on the depth chart. So it's not a position you have to go get multiple guys in. So they turn their attention now to the other needs, which they. I uh, got another offensive lineman a couple weeks ago, Muskrat out of out of Tulsa. Uh, they know that they've needed help at wide receiver. They've gotten two of them in, in recent days. As you uh, include the wide receiver out of Ohio State, Caleb Burton the third. Yeah.
2: One one of the the higher ranked high school a guy who was incredibly highly ranked in high school. I think he was the top ten guy at the wide receiver spot a couple of years ago, and just couldn't crack the depth chart at Ohio State because every guy at every wide receiver at Ohio State. Fits that bill, but certainly could come to Auburn and contribute quickly.
1: Uh, and then even adding on the, the defensive side of the ball at the rush at the edge position, uh, Jalen McCloyd and then uh, another linebacker here, uh, Larry Nixon the third, who did have, was an All CUSA first team selection last year, 106 tackles, I believe. Tom, lot. I believe Tom Green. Uh, tweeted out yesterday that only 62 players in the FPS ha- had 100 plus tackles last year. So that's not something that necessarily happens at every school, regardless of level. Uh, so productive tackler there, which again, we did a power ranking of all the position groups about uh, week to go in spring ball. Maybe it was the week after or week before the end of it. Uh, we talked about we felt pretty good about running backs, felt good about DBs. Every other position, there was you know maybe some love for linebackers or, or for D-line, but a clear drop from the top two positions as you started to go down the line. Well, they've not really added anything at the top two positions, but just about everywhere else, Auburn has added someone at some point over the last few weeks.
2: Yeah, and that's what they needed to do. You have not just added... Depth, you've added guys that you think are gonna be starters. This offensive line is going to be totally reworked. I think that's the most impressive job is I, I think uh Auburn, I think, signed eight offensive linemen in the last three recruiting classes. Hugh Freeze has gone out and gotten nine between the portal and high school guys yeah. this year. And it, it's can and be so done, guys. It can <laughs> be, you, be done. You can recruit it, multiple guys there. It can be done. You can recruit high, you can recruit offensive linemen and those guys they're expected to come out in and, and contribute quickly um i it's interesting because no school it's it'll be an interesting experiment because no school has ever rebuilt their offensive line through the portal offensive line is a unit it is greater than the sum of its parts you're supposed to bring those guys in together and develop them together these guys all went went out separately and are now being brought in as they have already been developed and now it's going to be an interesting experiment to see okay all these guys that were developed by other schools rather than plugging one hole with an, with a transfer guy, you're now going to have to plug all of them. I think Auburn's probably going to... Uh, they're going to have at least three new starters on the offensive line, possibly four. Uh, I doubt they go to five because I, I think uh, Jeremiah... Uh, I can't remember the guy who played left guard. Ru- uh, right? Yes,
1: Jeremiah,
2: yeah, Jeremiah Wright. I right. think Jeremiah Wright's yeah. pretty much penciled in at one of those guard spots. And I think a returning starter at the other guard spot, I, again, I'd have to look to the roster to remember names. There's so many new ones. Uh, but I, I think... Wright is pretty much penciled in as a starter, but it's very possible that four of those five other guys could be transfers. That's never really been done before, so it's going to be a very interesting experiment to see how that works.
1: So let me give you a little background and pose this question to you, Brant. So Auburn feels like a team, and maybe some of this is because we cover them, because we follow them, and you got to always be aware of some sort of built-in bias. He's not towards... You know, a t- necessarily even towards a team successes or failures, but just how you perceive a team because you're around them so much. But it always feels like Auburn has one of the higher ceiling to floor ratios in college <laughs> football. It feels like just because they're preseason top ten, they can they're not immune to a six and six year. And then just because they're supposed to go six and six, they're not immune to the potential to end up in Atlanta in an SEC title game. It felt like early on, this ceiling would not be the ceiling-floor difference would not be very high because this team has just got so much work to do. Are you now sensing the, the return to a wide chasm <laughs> between the ceiling and the floor with what could be from this team?
2: Uh, I will say it's not just because we cover Auburn. There are a lot of independent writers and media personalities who have called Auburn by far the most volatile uh, college football program in America. And I think that's absolutely true, Uh, and I think that's going to continue to be true. Uh, But I definitely think that with the talent Auburn has added, all of a sudden their their ceiling is a little bit higher. I think their floor remains in exactly the same spot. I have seen very talented Auburn teams go six and six, five and seven, uh, or seven and five. I think that's still very much on the table. I don't think it goes just because you get good players. But I certainly my 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 thoughts on having good or bad players or good or bad coaches. You can absolutely lose having good players. You can have poor coaching. You can have injuries. You can, have just get, you can get unlucky because luck is a big part of college football. Uh, you absolutely cannot win without good players. Those are necessary to have a successful program. Um, so I think with, with that in mind, Auburn has kept its floor where it is. I think it has raised its ceiling, and I certainly think it has raised its expectation as well. I think now, if you have less than eight wins, you color the season disappointment.
1: I've got to digest that statement. I I don't know. So, I know that they brought a lot in. Um, I'm still trying to think, though... I guess I've tried to avoid this topic because I wanted to let the whole roster lay out on, on right on where I, I think the team should be in the in the most amount of outcomes it should be. I, I don't know if I'm ready to go all the way to where this team should be an eight or nine win team. I definitely think it is it is more possible now than it was now that the quarterback position has been upgraded. Right. Uh, I still think the range of outcomes is pretty wide. Uh, although I'm starting to think that, um, you know, maybe to answer their own question, it is wider than it was, the range of outcomes. But I'm now – I still think there's a cap on it to where I don't expect the explosion uh, of Auburn to end up going to an SEC title. I still don't think no. that that's no, in play. No, absolutely not. So I, I take the double-digit win equation out of it. Um, but at the same time, I'm feeling better about this team. will will not go five and seven. It will at least be six and six. So, I think it maybe has a little bit less of of a uh, of a, a a difference between ceiling and floor than it, it has had in a lot of other years. But. That's why you play it out because I think you can go through every team except for about Alabama and Georgia and then maybe Vandy on the flip side of it and they're (laughs) going to have at least a three to four to five win difference between ceiling and floor. Uh, And I think that if we were to speak about what would have to go wrong for it to be worse than six and six, I mean, at this point you would have to be uh, just absolutely gutted by Peyton Thorne's play. Like he, like he would either not win the job for some reason, get injured. You go back to Ashford; he's not improved as a passer. Your offensive line does not
2: improve right. despite improving the room itself.
1: Right, um, and then you would have to, which I, I think the defensive front is going to be an issue. I mean, I, I think if you flip the side of the ball, I don't think this. What about say is is completely irrational, but. Uh, You know, they would have to have problems stopping the run and rushing the passer, which they did have problems stopping the run last year. That was a real thing. And then, well, you lost the best couple of rushers that you had on the edge. So... That, that is a real concern what the what the front will be like next year. And I don't think that we spend a lot of time on it because we are a little more enamored with offense and, and certainly the quarterback position. And, again, there's a lot of validity, validity to that. We're not the only ones that have pounded that subject home. But I think if you look completely at the team – that there are going to be issues up front with the defensive, uh, defensive, I'll say of the entire front seven. That's why they've added a lot to it. And now maybe they have added enough to give you a little here and a little there and uh, a little bit where you need to. Um, But, you know, I, I, I've talked myself. I certainly don't think there's a disaster season anymore where it's just like, Oh, this is one of the worst teams that (laughs) that's existed at Auburn. I definitely don't think that's happening. Uh, I'm, somewhere between i think the ceiling of 6 and 6 to to 9 and 3 you know the the 10 and 2 stuff that that you
2: got to gotta, so, have to get to real lucky to some degree
1: real yeah, lucky you you have to have Stuff that's not in your control go well at that yes. point. You got to have A and M completely be done. Like this has got to be like okay, Fisher is absolutely yeah. done. Fisher's and, and, about to get the rest and, of that
2: contract yeah, real quick. Yeah,
1: and, and that program's just not coming back. You know, Lane Kiffin not re- regenerating stuff at Ole Miss after losing some receivers and stuff. I mean, they still should have uh, a dynamic duo in the backfield, no matter who they go at quarterback with, because they got Quinshawn Judkins. So, yeah. you know, Ole Miss would have to you know, just be disappointing as a whole. Uh, and then even Arkansas would be someone where obviously the having to go there last year or, excuse me, go there next year after having been here last year and losing pretty decisively at Jordan-Hare this year. Uh, you know, you wonder about um, just Arkansas's program trajectory as a whole. After going so quickly up and so <laughs> surprisingly up under Sam Pittman to start off with, but then having a truly disappointing year last year where Arkansas falls, so you know it's again easy to kind of look at our at, at the own circumstance at, at what uh, we cover, what our coverage usually is of, of Auburn and and how Auburn's improving themselves, but also you know it, it at some point it takes some other mistakes by other teams or misevaluations by other teams, and uh, I think Auburn. Correctly is focusing on themselves, but I guess uh, as we as we look at how their schedule is going to go, a lot of it becomes okay. Well, you went in the last year thinking A and M was going to be a, a game very difficult to win. <laughs> well, it ended up being one of the very few you could win because A and M had the, a world of hurt, which the, was a- almost unimaginable for what they were supposed to be.
2: I I can't believe. Let's let's talk about A and M for just a second because I, I just have a point I want to make. <laughs> you're going to try to fix the issues you had last year by bringing in Bobby Petrino. Right. I, I just want to let that sit for a second. Like, do we think Bobby Petrino is the guy that's going to fix Jimbo Fisher's offense, that's going to overcome all the problems that they had last year? I, I just – the Bobby Petrino I've watched for the last 15, 20 years I don't think is that guy. <laughs> Yeah, when you phrase it that
1: way, it's interesting. By the way, I do want to point out uh, if anyone is looking for Jani Broom, he is on ESPN2 right now playing the draft combine. We, we mentioned that would happen during our show, and uh, it is happening. He's in this scrimmage. But uh, I know it was complete 180. But to go back to Topical. what you're talking about, I, I think that if the personality is what you needed to it, – it's kind of hard to figure out how it would fix either side because if you need to fix the personality – then I I don't think Bobby Petrino's personality is going to fix anything. (laughs) If you need to fix the X and O's, well, I kind of was under the assumption that Jimbo Fisher was pretty good at that. So That's what he's made his his money on. It it makes me think that it is some sort of stylistic uh, ideology that they're not on board with, that it's the voice they're not on board with. Because unless I'm just wrong about Fisher and Petrino is just so superior to him, from the X and O standpoint, which I, I mean Petrino's a, a very good X and O's guy. I mean, I'm not going to belittle that part of it. He had tremendous success not too long ago in this conference, taking Arkansas, one of the bottom half programs, to a place that is really as high as it's been in a long time. So I'm not gonna belittle what he's capable of as just a coach, but they have pretty deep issues, in my opinion, to be that bad with Fisher given they had that much talent and I, I, I don't I don't think the writing's on the wall but I I think the Sharpie has been activated <laughs> and I think we've got a hand that's ready to write on a wall because they have they did as little with as much last year as, mm-hmm. as I think maybe anyone in the entire country.
2: It feels like a desperation play. It feels like, it feels like you're throwing a hail Mary going God I hope this works because you don't have any other options, because Jimbo Fisher is a known egomaniac, as a lot of college football coaches are. That's not unique. But so is Bobby Petrino, to both of them to a unique level. Uh, I There's a very famous quote about Bobby Petrino from his time with the Atlanta Falcons that I cannot say on the radio, huh. but I, I think perfectly sums up the type of character he has. Uh, but like like you said, he's a great X's and nose coach, but again... Like you said, again, we've said the same thing about Jimbo Fisher for forever. They're both X's and O's offensive guys, and you've got, you're going to have a cult of personality there, and I just can't wait to see those two clash because it's going to happen at some point this year.
1: And the undertone for A&M, too, is this is all happening the year before Texas, who yep. they do not want any part of, really. Rejoins the the same or not rejoins the SEC, but re, rejoins them in a league and and gets back with them to where they're going to be playing either every year or every other year, and uh, then that rivalry gets ratcheted back up. There's always the uh, the back and forth between the two, but it, it I would I would surmise that it's just not the same when you don't play, you know. And and yeah. and, and Texas has had its own issues to worry about, and so it's not like either one could maybe poke a whole lot of fun at the other. But once they start playing again, if a ms in this much turmoil, they, they sent all that money Jimbo's way, they got like a year and a half of success out of it, and then they're going to have miserable failure after that if that's what, what ends up happening, and then Texas joins the league. And I have no idea how up is Texas. Are they going to be ranked high? Sure. Uh, I mean, is Arch Manning there? Yes, he is. Are are we going to talk? Is he going to start for them this year? No, he won't. Yeah, it's going to be Quinn Ewers. Yep. You know, will will Arch Manning be on alert to be in the transfer portal every week if that Ewers plays well? Yes, he will. I mean, (laughs) you know, I mean, there's going to be get ready
2: for that for at least the next three years. Where is
1: Arch Manning going to go? There's going to be all kinds of conversation about uh, about that. But I I just think I guess to go all the way back to why we started talking about this is there's a lot of teams. In this league, that have very important years for their program trajectory, and it's kind of unpredictable at the moment because, again, three year, two three years ago, A and M was on that upward trajectory. Now they they could be a year away from having to pay gobs of money to a national champion coach to get lost because it went that south that quickly. Again, Arkansas looked like it was going to become in a pretty steady position, but then they had a very disappointing. They got the, they got the least they could have. Uh, out of last year's team. Ole Miss has gotten to a place where they have really not been consistently for 40 or 50 years. Can they maintain that, or was that a one- or two-year wonder where they're going to ultimately revert back to seven wins a year? There's just some programs right now that are maybe just playing a little bit above their their tradition – And that's good. They've got to strive to do that, but it also plays a factor into what Auburn's expectations are which Auburn's expectations are to be better than Arkansas every year and to be better than Ole Miss every year and you know A&M's kind of weird cuz they've not been in the league but certainly Auburn does not believe they b- should be below Texas A&M so these programs are all relevant right now because they're not traditionally elite but yet they have various reasons why they feel they should be pretty close to elite right now and they're just going in directions that are, are hard to quantify and hard to figure out exactly where we be, where they'll be and and, and going to make it all very exciting and it's a part of auburn's ever ever changing ceiling and floor dynamic i also want to announce real quickly as we go to break again we are having trouble with our mixler stream if you're trying to listen to us on that and you've resorted to the radio our tiger communications app should still be working though so you can listen to us there or of course live right here or after the fact we will have that podcast posted uh presented by coca-cola we're going to take our first time out of the show on the other side the auburn bank phone line will get busy and we'll have birthdays in sports you're listening to the wednesday edition of sports call on tiger 95.9
0: Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. This is former Auburn football player Danny Skutak and you are listening to the Abbey Award winning Sports Call Auburn.
1: sports call tiger 95.9 ryan the boy brant daughtry with you here live on our studios on south college street good segment just a moment ago talking some college football talking ceiling and floor for auburn how it's changed over the last few weeks with some portal additions before we go any further today let's get to today's birthdays and sports it's time for today's Birthdays in Sports. Birthdays in Sports is presented by Max Credit Union with two convenient locations to serve you. One location on Gay Street in Auburn, the other on Frederick Road in Otelika. The Max Credit Union help you with all of your banking needs. Norv Turner turned 71 today, former NFL and college football coach. An offensive assistant for much of his coaching career, he came to prominence as the Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator during their consecutive Super Bowl victories. In addition to his assistant coaching, Turner served as head coach for the Washington Redskins from 1994 to 2000, the Oakland Raiders from 2004 to 2005, and the San Diego Chargers from 2007 to 2012. North Turner turns 71 today. Sugar Ray Leonard turned 67 Former professional boxer, held a career record of 36 wins, uh, 25 by uh, knockout, three losses and one draw, often regarded as one of the greatest boxers of all time, uh, competed professionally between 1977 and 1997, winning world titles in five weight classes, the lineal championship in three weight classes, as well as the undisputed welterweight championship, Sugar Ray Leonard turns 67 today. Boxing. Tony Parker turns 41, NBA point guard, former NBA point guard, selected 28th in the 2001 NBA draft by the San Antonio Spurs, four-time NBA champion, 2007 NBA Finals MVP, six-time All-Star, three-time All-Second Teamer, 2002 All-Rookie First Team has his jersey number 9 retired by the Spurs. Tony Parker turns 41 today. Matt Ryan turns 38, current goat current Current free agent NFL quarterback, selected third overall in the 2008 NFL Draft by the Atlanta Falcons out of Boston College. Go birds. 2016 NFL MVP and Offensive Player of the Year. 2008 NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. 2016 First Team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler. 2016 NFL Passer Rating Leader and 2012 Completion Percentage Reader uh, Leader. Excuse me, uh, at Boston College, Ryan was 2007 Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award winner. 2007 ACC Player of the Year and Offensive Player of the Year. First team All-American and a first team All-ACC has his jersey number 12 retired by the Eagles and actually just signed with CBS Sports to be part of their NFL coverage this upcoming season. Matt Ryan turns 38 today.
2: I'm waiting on that one day contract with the Falcons. Yeah, um, it, It's got to be coming up soon. All right. uh, greatest Falcon of all time in my in my humble opinion as a falcons fan he's, so, he's the best
1: so maddie ice turns 38 today and i'll add one more birthday hubert davis head coach of the university of north carolina basketball uh, has a birthday today hubert of course the coach of carolina when they beat duke in the final four and you'll always be remembered for that if nothing <laughs> else Hubert Davis turns 53 today. And those are the birthdays in sports presented by Max Credit Union. Again, North Turner, 71. Sugar Ray Leonard, 67. Tony Parker, 41. Matt Ryan, 38. And Hubert Davis, 53.
2: Why do I feel like Tony Parker is so much older than Matt Ryan? There's three years of difference between them, but I feel like Tony Parker's pushing 50. He's 41. You know, I just... Let me think about that for a second. (laughs) Tony, how long has Tony Parker been retired? Several
1: years. Yeah. I mean, probably four to six years. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, just started a little younger because I, I think um,
2: – Is he, is he, he was,
1: French? He, was, he is. Uh, he was drafted in 01, so okay. he was drafted uh, when he was 19. Okay. So I think that's part of it. Matt Ryan was 21 or 22 when he yeah. came to the NFL. And, that's fair. And uh, Spurs were just always relevant during yeah. that time. So it was relevant even when he was – Couple years in the league. Him, Manu Ginobili, who was the Tim Duncan? Yeah, Duncan's the legend. And yeah. then had a little Bruce Bowen at the beginning. Uh, Kawhi Leonard came there at the end. Yeah. And a little Danny Green in there. Uh, David Robinson was at the end of the of the beginning of the dynasty, if that makes sense. And Greg, um,
2: and Greg Popovich for all of it yep. and before and after, after
1: and <laughs> might
2: talk a little bit about them
1: a little bit later as they won the draft lottery last night. And I, I yeah. do want to hit on that at some point. And again, reminder that right now on ESPN two, you can watch Shania broom at the combine as he, uh, got the opportunity to compete after doing well on the G, G league uh, skills combine. And so, uh, looking forward to seeing Janai play right now. Let's go to our Auburn Big phone line for the first time today. 334 887 locally or toll-free. 9 tiger First up on the show today, Wardam Steve. Retired Wardam Steve joins us. Steve, how are you doing?
3: Hey, doing great, guys, and it's always good to hear your voices. Brent, welcome back. I'm hoping you are feeling better.
2: I'm feeling a lot better. Thank you.
3: Good. Uh, I enjoyed listening to your comments, especially about uh, the, uh, the portal and how it's actually impacted not only our team, but other teams as well. And uh, I agree with your observation that typically, you know, the offensive line, you can't make the chemistry uh, be what needs to be cohesive uh, within one year. Uh, and Now that's what obviously uh, our coaching staff is trying to do uh, with these players. Uh, Let's see if it really works, right?
2: Yeah, that's the hope. I mean, uh, I typically you want to bring all those guys in together and train them all up in your system, but Auburn does not have that luxury. Their offensive line's been so bad for the past. I I think since 2018, they've had a subpar offensive line, uh, and they've won a couple of games, a couple of big games, in spite of it, uh, but not never because of it. Uh, And so you're completely reworking that offensive line room and. Uh because you absolutely had to so it, it's something that's never been tried before because nobody thinks it'll work uh but these guys are trying it because it's what's necessary
3: yeah, and uh you know i'm i'm i wondering now since we have two uh uh portal transfers from uh, north texas uh are they becoming a farm team for auburn
1: <laughs> yeah no i I think uh with a lot of schools, they're going to end up unfortunately schools. Around that conference USA AAC level they're just going to end up having situations where they have multiple guys go up to bigger schools especially with just the viability of being able to leave in the portal and so uh, it was funny that Auburn got two guys on the from the same team on the same day but uh, yeah I think a lot of those schools are going to to end up losing some guys to bigger schools
3: now of course these aren't the you know five star players that uh, the teams you know and Jace does, you know, are unfortunately uh, getting, um, and that's the the thing that I uh, uh, listen to your comments about. You know, I think you were saying, Ryan, that you know some teams like say Ole Miss, you know, have surpassed their traditional uh, winning uh, records, and I was thinking about that. You said, you know, when what will it ever take for Auburn uh, to uh, for for our fans to have an expectation that uh, we should be winning or averaging? Uh, no less than nine to ten wins a season. Is that even plausible, uh realistic? Well
2: I, I think it is the expectation. Yeah I, I think was that say is yeah, what Auburn expects twice. to do. You know so, so
3: it's only happened twice uh, with Coach Pat Dy and that was
2: it. Well I mean
1: I has it happened so far? No, not really. But do Auburn fans expect it to start happening? Yes. I mean, I think that you saw that with with the on tenure because he averaged out to be eight and a half wins or so a year, and it was a constant year to year basis if his job was secure or not. So I I think that I think Auburn fans do expect to win nine to ten games a year, and I and I think that. I think they're they've been on the the verge of doing that. They've just needed a little bit more here and there to to maintain that consistency. But certainly, the boom part of the program has had plenty of double digit win seasons and and and, and successful runs. They've just not had a period too often where they've maintained it for a, a period of time.
3: And that's the the, the the struggle that I've always asked myself why Why has it been so difficult? What's the explanation that we have been unable to be consistently a 10-win team.
2: I think it's a little bit of everything. I think it's different stuff every time. Is I think location. location? No, it's not about location. I, I think it's about – I mean, the location is tough because you're right between Georgia and Alabama and Florida and, and recently Clemson. You're dead middle in that triangle of death and, and or that rhombus of death if you want to include Clemson, the square, whatever shape you want to make it. But I, I think it's more – I, I think it's more about Auburn than it is about the schools surrounding Auburn. I think Auburn has had trouble getting out of its own way in in history. and I, you know there are a bunch of it, that that can mean a bunch of different things that we don't have time to get into right now, but I think it is more about Auburn than the teams surrounding it.
3: okay, cause I was wondering, you know, is it we just haven't cheated well enough like the other teams do?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if, it, if you can boil it down <laughs> to something that simple. but uh, I, I think certainly, uh, Auburn has done things that have, have impacted itself negatively, and and then I do think a part of the story is that it is there's not much r- room for error uh, in, in this part of the country, as Brian alluded to. There's not like one one team to beat, and then you're good. I mean, it's it's cyclical to a degree, but there's a lot of great programs in this part of of the country. Unfortunately, Auburn's rivals with a couple of them, so. That has always played into it, but uh, you know, I I think Auburn is close enough to where you can confidently say it is a it's a reasonable aspiration to get to that point. But obviously, they still need uh, a little bit more positive momentum and a little bit more elongated period of time to actually realize that.
3: Yeah, you know, because you can't just point out to well, it's because of this coach or those two coaches. It some. It hasn't seemed to matter. It hasn't been uh, really relevant. Well, who the coach is for Auburn? No one, except for that guy, even did uh, a ten-win season two times, and that's that's been it. Yeah, Jordan couldn't do it.
1: Right. I mean, and uh, again, that's it's no secret. But you know, look, you always want to improve. You always want to step it up. And look, Auburn's still. It's not like Auburn has some bottom feeder program even though that they have not had that sustained you know 10 win type of success they've had plenty of great teams over the course of time where that's a very relevant program in both the sec and in college football so it just needs to find that that more consistency consistency is a word that we throw around in the sports world for a lot of different topics a lot of different things and 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 honestly that's what it boils down to a lot of times and and so Auburn's proven that it can get to the top of the sport, but it's it the the last thing it needs to do is it needs to prove that it can remain there for a period of time and not just have one year every every 5, 6, 7 years.
3: Right. And Brent, I'm with you. You know, it's no secret, I was not a big supporter of Hugh Freeze's hiring. I'm still, you know, on, on the fence on that um basically because of the baggage that he brought with him and his behavior. So I'm looking to see will he remain uh, and become more ethical than he has been and maintain the integrity that I'm hoping he will. So I'm, 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 I'm on the fence now, and I, I, want, I want to be proven wrong about him. All right, moving on, guys. Uh, the uh, NCA regionals. I just looked at the recent updates, and uh, please educate me. It shows Auburn has finished their round, uh, third round today, and they're where it says to par minus one and today we're even. Vanderbilt is now number two, but they're, it says through 17th, 18th hole, I guess they haven't finished yet, but today they're minus four. So is there any way that Auburn should not be in the top, uh, fish in top five? Yeah, no. Vanderbilt is number three, Ohio State's number four, and Colorado State's number five. Um, The only teams who have not finished their, Mm. Uh, their, their holes are Vanderbilt and Ohio State.
1: Yeah, there there's no way for Auburn to drop out of the f- top five with what's with who's remaining out there. Auburn obviously could still drop to second there, depending on how Vandy finishes. But Auburn is through to the next round the NCAA tournament. They they have advanced. There's there's no okay. way they can't. All right, well that's and that's and right the reason there. the reason they quite haven't finished is there was uh, a suspension to play here because we have had some rain here in the last hour or so.
3: Gotcha. Okay. Now, uh, there's a category, guys, I'd like to maybe see if you would maybe make it permanent. Uh, It is for me, anyway. Uh, It comes from uh, the uh, late Peter Boyle on the uh, uh, sitcom Everyone Loves Raymond. Uh, He went by Frank, of course. And, you know, he would always say, holy crap, if something astonished him or surprised him. Right. Well, this is, to me, in that category. It comes from Bleacher Report, and it says, the NFL's takeover – Has reached a new peak. They're now selling individual games for wilds of money. So I went down and read it, and I said, "Holy crap!" The Wall Street Journal reported Monday that the NFL is selling one playoff game this year exclusively to the Peacock Channel. Right. Did you read it?
1: I haven't read it, but I'm very familiar with the story. I was possibly going to bring that up this week. Yeah.
3: Well, holy crap! 110 million dollars is what Peacock apparently is willing to buy to have. This
1: one playoff game on their channel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, look, I, I don't know uh, business wise what Peacock's subscription is going to have to what the, how many subscriptions they're going to have to get to make that worth to them worth it to them, and then also how much ad revenue they need to build because of that game because they'll I mean they'll get to sell ads specific for that game so they will make money they're all ads but at what point do they actually not make money from from having to pay 110 million for something for one, for one singular game for 3 to 4 hours of programming i don't know i mean i mean that that is a ton of money i see why the nfl did it obviously but uh, also for the consumer which is us i mean that puts into question how many people are actually going to subscribe or or get on peacock to watch that game Uh, because assuming a a subscription will be necessary, I'll tell you what, uh, unless Tampa Bay's in that playoff game and unless it's a road playoff game, which means I'm not attending, uh, I'm not getting Peacock to watch that one game. It's not happening for me, and I love the NFL. So uh, I I don't know what they're going to have to see from a – from a subscriber standpoint, to make it worth that to them, but it's hard to believe they're going to find. I don't know. It's hard to believe they're going to find more value than that out of that situation.
3: Well, I and mean, Ryan, you know what astonishes me is they're paying this kind of money for they don't even know who the other the teams are going to be. Fight unseen. Correct. It's like yep. buying a house, and you know I haven't seen it, but you know, I'll go ahead and take it.
1: <laughs> is it the uh, it's the wild card round, right? So it could be. Yeah. It. I mean it. I, You know, no offense to the fans of these teams, but what if it was like Jacksonville and Cleveland, two of the smaller fan bases
2: in the AFC, or or uh, Jacksonville and two teams that barely have a winning record? It's possible to get into the playoffs with a a record of nine and eight or ten and seven. You know, that's not that's not a great team.
1: I mean, you know, look, the NFL as a whole. I mean, it's it's a huge deal, and and there are very few teams that won't draw well. But yeah, there's still some teams like Jacksonville. I. You know, I would say Tampa post Brady. I would say the Texans don't have an overly large national following, and 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 there's some going to be some others there. Where if if some combination of those teams were in that game, then yeah, that's going to hurt more than say if Green Bay was in that game or Pittsburgh or 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 whoever. You know, if Kansas City, Lord forbid, had a bad year and a, lo- <laughs> a lot of people wanted to watch Mahomes, that would be impactful for, for, for them, but uh, yeah, there's certainly scenarios where you you don't uh, get a whole lot of bang for that buck.
3: And you gotta wonder, well, how they even come up with that money? I mean that amount, the NFL under ten million. I mean they could have said two hundred million and let's not even forget this. So because this comes from Bleach Report, their question is this, well how much would the Super Bowl go for?
1: Oh, I mean, In, insane <laughs> well, I amounts there, of money. I remember, it ta- was it like a couple million for a thirty-second ad. Yeah. So I mean, they it, it yeah. you, you did that times hundreds of ads, and I mean, I don't know, probably a billion. I don't know. Well,
3: that's what they said. <laughs> they said, "Would it go for a billion? And, and, and you know, we're being held hostage. Just, I say the fans, because what they decide, it won't no longer, it'll no longer be, you know, on probably broadcasting, you know, uh, available over-the-air channels. You have to. You know, pay to another you know subscription service to get the Super Bowl right.
2: Well, that's that's what the MLS has done. I understand soccer is not a big deal, but soccer is now streaming exclusively on Apple TV. You can't get it on cable yeah. anymore. I,
3: but do you want to know what it costs uh, them to have uh, the uh, the the rights to stream on Apple TV? Because it says it here, uh, two hundred fifty million dollars for the year. But yeah. Peacock is paying one hundred ten million dollars right. for one game.
2: Well, and, and yeah, because that's, th- that's the, the difference between the, the NFL and the MLS
3: and yeah. me, okay. All right, well, moving on, you know, these people have money to burn. I, I can't even count that high. Uh, what what happened to the Lakers last night, losing to the Nuggets?
1: Well, the Nuggets were the number one team in the Western Conference this year. I don't know if that would, I would phrase it uh, that surprisingly. That's why the Nuggets... Well, I'm
3: saying surprisingly, Ryan, because the Nuggets have never won a championship in their entire history.
1: Sure. But they've also never had a player as good as Nikola Jokic, who they have now. Um, you know, obviously we don't talk a lot of NBA on the show, even though I would, I would love to, because I, I actually love that sport above anything else. But I, I would tell you that I think it'll be a very competitive series, but I think that the Lakers are pretty pleased even in the loss because that was a game that looked like Denver was about to blow them out of the building, and the Lakers... Yeah, I was going to
3: ask you about that, yeah, one. And, and the, I read on here, they had a 20-point... Margin and they narrowed it down within the three minutes left of the game. So they almost blew
1: it. Right, exactly. And so the Lakers, even though they lost, I think they feel pretty good today because, uh, you know, road teams are not expected to win all the time. They only need to win one road game to flip home court. And so to, to see Denver shoot that well, play that well, Jokic play that well, and then the Lakers still be able to find a way to make them play out all 48 minutes – Again, I'm not saying that it means the Lakers are going to go win this series, but it does give them confidence that even if Denver's making everything, the Lakers can score on Denver at will, too. And so I think it's just going to be a very high-scoring series, ultimately.
3: Well, that's what I was wondering. because uh, I don't follow-up? Do the Nuggets have a, that poor defense that they have yeah, the, a 21-point margin just fall apart?
1: The Nuggets are not known for their defense. They, they do try to outscore teams. Uh, they they only have a couple of truly good defenders and and Jokic despite being just a, a phenomenal player he is not a great defender uh, so the, Denver clearly tries to to outscore teams and you know they they're, they're going to have to shoot well throughout the series but part of being the number 1 team in the regular season is that they usually do outscore teams and so they usually do shoot well
3: okay speaking of money real quickly my last right? thing
1: for steven we yeah, got to take our hour that, break uh,
3: Victor Wimbanyana, Wim is that his yes, name? Yes,
1: Wimbanyana, yep.
3: Okay, he got the draft lottery for San Antonio Spurs. What kind of money are we talking about that he's going to be given?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it is kind of structured uh, by the NBA. It's not really a negotiable thing. Uh, and I think it will be something around, it'll be a four year deal, and it'll be probably about 40 to 50000000 be about 10 to $11 million a year, somewhere in there. But well, if, holy crap. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's lucrative, and that's only increased here over the last few years as the salary cap went up about four or five years ago, the new CBA that they had then, and now they're about to have another new uh, collective bargaining agreement here in a couple of years.
3: And if he gets hurt, he still gets that money?
1: Yeah, it's guaranteed in the NBA. There's very few contracts that are not guaranteed. They do exist. You can do it that way, but the norm in the NBA is that all that money is guaranteed.
3: Okay. Did you get any upfront cash right away or, or not?
1: A signing bonus? Um, yeah. yeah. I'm assuming
2: so. I feel like those yeah, are built into most contracts. It's
1: it's not as relevant as in the other sports, though. So I, I'm sure there's something, but it's it's just more about the average per year.
2: Oh,
3: well. Well, that's uh, I can't count that far either. All right, guys. Well, thank you for uh, letting me go uh, you know, today and enjoy your comments. And uh, – We'll do this again uh, tomorrow, hopefully. So until then, my time is up. War Eagle, guys.
1: War Eagle, Steve, appreciate that phone call. As always, that is Retire Ward AM Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. We are out of time here for hour number one on the other side of this break. Uh, we will have a lot more on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
0: And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call.
1: Hour number two starting right now, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brent Dontry with you here this afternoon. Fun first hour. Appreciate retired Ward AMC for joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. If you want to give us a call today, 334 887 Thirty-four oh one locally or toll free, one triple eight nine tiger nine. Mentioned earlier, Jani Broom playing right now at the NBA Draft Combine. Opportunity for Jani Broom to uh, try and, and make shocking uh, shocking movement up the the draft board. He was not originally uh, invited to the Combine. He was going to the G League Skills event, uh, combine, summit, whatever yeah, they, th- they call I it. I think the they scrimmaged there as well. But. Um, played incredibly well, had like a 20-point game, and earned an invitation along with eight or, eight or nine others to make the NBA draft combine. So still a long way for him to go, but uh, this could end up working out very well for Auburn, assuming he comes back, because now he's going to have an experience of being – in front of these these real NBA scouts, being uh, competitive with all these top players from college this past year. And, you know, it, it could end up be making him just a, a better player. Now, it doesn't work that way for everyone, but but sometimes you do hear of guys going off in more of a team competition with, with great players from all over and, and learning some stuff and, and coming back a new player. And look, Jani was already productive to begin with. I, I saw him. Attempt to three, attempt a 15 foot uh, kind of one legged dark shot. Uh, and if he starts to get a perimeter game to the size he's got, then um, if he adds that, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with.
2: Yeah. I mean, towards the end of the season last year, he started shooting, what, 30, 30, 35%? Yeah. Something, somewhere between 30 and 35, I think, last year, which you got a guy who's 6'10 who can shoot 33% from, from deep. You've got a heck of a weapon. Uh, and to your point, you're never going to get worse from going and learning from guys who are in the NBA. Now, it does not guarantee you're going to become an NBA player, but the fact that Janai did as well as he did uh, in the G League combine uh, against future professional basketball players, uh, that speaks to what his ceiling could be. I've always thought there was kind of a ceiling on Janai Broom because I just don't think he's the most athletic guy. And I, But... You don't have to be the most athletic guy. If you can shoot well from three and you can use your size and physicality, which is kind of what Jani does. He uses timing to block shots. He uses size to get inside. He's he's a good player, and he's going and he's learning from these guys who are the best in the world, and that can only make you a better player.
1: We are two weeks away from college players having to decide whether to kick, uh, keep their name in the NBA draft versus take it out. Uh, again, would think for all the world – uh, you know I guess Dylan Cardwell did this too but but we've been talking with Jalen or about Jalen Williams in this regard since those guys are not there at the combine I, I just would not fathom that they would leave unless they truly just did not want to have be in college basketball anymore at all and they were just okay with having a overseas career as opposed to another year in in college. Um, so I would think for the world they'll be back. We talked to Justin Ferguson yesterday. Again, if you missed that, go check that out in the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. And he was talking about what the what scholarships Auburn has available. They technically, by his count, have four available right now, but that they're not going to use all four on, on portal guys or that sort of thing, that they reserve one or two for walk-on. So they're probably realistically looking at two more portal scholarships maybe even just one depending on how things work out because certainly one scholarship's likely going to Leor Berman um this fall so you know Auburn basketball's just kind of been in more of a holding pattern and I, I I would wonder if any of it has to do with just making sure that these guys come back maybe Bruce Pearl has been a little reluctant to maybe uh tie himself to uh, any other guys than what the guys we've heard now because there's just might not be a need. Uh, we know about Lawrence out of, um, out of Vanderbilt and you know he's going through this same process too. So it's quiet right now for Auburn and, and the decisions that these guys have. But again, May 31st these guys have to decide by. So it might not happen today. it might not happen tomorrow, but sometime in the next two weeks, Lawrence's fate should be, uh, told uh, we'll know about broom williams cardwell and uh, again you can't go in the portal uh anymore that portal closed last week so yeah katie johnson's going to be an auburn tiger again um you know chris moore is going to be back at auburn any guys that you didn't hear as much or maybe as concrete of a verbal from those guys are back so we don't know the full roster yet but i'm thinking by this time two weeks from now about all the decisions that auburn's waiting on will will have been made
2: yeah i'm still interested to see where they go at the three position i think tyron lawrence is the the biggest want right now with alan flanagan going the only position that you really need to address uh in your roster right now is that small forward spot so alan flanagan's gone you've got to replace somebody there because I don't think any of us want to see Chaney Johnson be the starter and Chris Mork be the the true backup and not just a an energy rebounding and defense guy, uh, more of a role player rather than a, a true backup three. I, I, so I, I'm interested to see where Tyron Lawrence does, and I'm also interested to see what Julian Phillips does, a guy that Auburn wanted really, really bad uh, when he was a senior in high school uh, who ended up going to Tennessee. Well, he's in the transfer portal now. Now, he did enter the transfer portal after the final date – for the SEC to enter, so he's transferring from an SEC school. Uh, it apparently, after a certain date, you cannot transfer to another SEC school, and he entered after that date. But a lot of people are also acting like, "Hey, that doesn't really matter. He can get a waiver very easily, and that makes sense to me because the NCAA doesn't have any teeth." So, or well, this is an NCAA rule. I just revert to my hate to the NCAA because it's <laughs> what I do, but. So it, this is an SEC rule, but apparently it's very easy to get past it. So Julian Phillips is another name I would keep an eye on at that small forward spot. Uh, it, it's it's interesting. They got to get somebody. Y- you really think they have to get somebody?
1: Yeah, and um, they they've again they've had a an all season with a lot of possibilities. They still need though to kind of consummate one or two more uh, quality players onto the team. Next year, because as it's currently constructed, you know there's just such an obvious hole at that three position. Even if they went to the three guard stuff, I mean, you would yeah. you would say to yourself, let's say, uh, just just let's call it Holloway. Let's say Denver Jones, and I don't know. Let's let's say KD starts. Yeah, you it's, know, it's either that,
2: KD or Trey Donaldson then, at that other third guard spot.
1: Then, by the way, all of a sudden, you don't feel like you're as deep as you want to be at guard anymore because then you only got one backup for. Two to three positions. I guess Cheney Johnson would play some three, or you know Chris Moore, and, and so maybe you'd be one guard to back up two positions. But all of a sudden, that's not exactly as deep in the backcourt as you believed you would be either. So I, I think that they just they have to get another wing, and then if they want to do the three guard lineup, that's when they they've got to have. Uh, another guard in place so we're still in wait and see mode with those decisions with Auburn basketball uh, as they try and figure out uh, their last couple of scholarships there and then the decisions needing to be made by these guys going through the NBA draft process we're going to take our next time out of the show more sports call coming up right after this
0: Want to know how easy it is to listen to our show? All you have to do with your Amazon smart device is say, Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn.
3: This is Philip Lolly, former Auburn Tigers football assistant coach for the
0: 2010 National Championship team, and you are listening to Sports Call.
1: Welcome back to Sports Gone Today. Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brent Dauntree with you here. Just chatted a little Auburn basketball. Over the course of that break, Jani Broom had like four points and four rebounds. That like, He went in a good stretch there. Had a, had a nice little, little stretch, as Brent just said. Uh, coming up a little bit later, we'll talk some Atlanta Braves, maybe a little NBA as well. But for now, let's go back to another college football conversation we wanted to have. Yesterday, we kind of had... An impromptu discussion about some TV deals, uh, how we're going to start to see some new networks involved with new conferences starting this year, how that dynamic will will shift to the SEC in 2024. Yesterday, the uh, Southeastern Conference on Twitter announced officially announced that the SEC is coming to ABC, something that we've not we've not seen obviously in an awful long time, and so. That was kind of our conversation yesterday. Today, though, I want to center it back on some realignment issues. And the ACC, if you've been following along the story with, with the likes of Brandon Marcello and Brett McMurphy and um, Ross Stellinger over at, at SI, these guys have been reporting on the – I don't know if it's growing, but the alleged – disenchantment with everything going on in the ACC amongst a particular group of the ACC's member schools. And I don't think, let me preface this, I don't think it's going to lead into something that uh, gets too crazy here. Uh, But certainly it is a little concerning if you are the ACC and you are Commissioner Jim Phillips. And so a couple days ago – It was reported Clemson, Florida State, Miami, North Carolina, North Carolina State, Virginia, and Virginia Tech are, quote, the magnificent (laughs) seven ACC schools uh, that have met in the past several months with lawyers examining grant of rights to determine just how unbreakable it is. The ACC deal runs through. 2036 and then there's been a lot of press conferences and stuff since then but just bring your initial reaction to those seven schools seeming to coalesce a little bit and how disgruntled they should or should not be at this point
2: well my initial thought is one of these things is not like the other uh NC State being in that group I know they're a good they're a decent basketball program but uh, I certainly don't think that they're up to par with those other schools I, I certainly wouldn't think they bring in the other revenue But uh, Coining it the Magnificent Seven Is really funny um, But also I, Now let's, let's, let's approach this From like an actual business standpoint Those schools definitely Make more money than uh, Say Boston College Boston College is an ACC school So do they have rights To say Well we deserve more money Certainly they do, but they also signed the contract that says we're not going to take more money. We're going to have this equal share. So, you know, trying now, trying to get out of this contract. I don't know. It's very interesting because their argument is sound. They are worth more. They make more. They are a, a more money. They are more of a money driver than other schools in the ACC. But it's interesting that they're, you know, it. If, if I'm Boston College, I'm going to them and say, no, up yours. You signed this contract. You don't get to take more money. And, and again, like we said at the top of the show, I don't think F, at least FSU and Clemson are probably headed to the SEC very soon. I could see North Carolina also making that move. Um,
1: so you believe this will end in some of these ACC schools leaving?
2: I, I think it could. I think it could uh, because I, I just think the SEC is stronger. I think it's going to remain stronger. The SEC doesn't have a Boston College. They have Vanderbilt. I'd I take Vanderbilt over Boston College in, a, I don't know, probably I, most sports. I'm trying to think. Like, I don't know how good – and I I feel like I'm picking on Boston College. It's just the lowest ACC school I can think of.
1: Uh, to, to be fair, I, I don't know if anyone other than Kansas can compare to, to Vanderbilt's lack of uh, – lack of menacing nature in football. Boston College at least has a history. It's a long That's time true. ago and it was in the Big East. But but Boston College is far more capable than than Vanderbilt. But I uh, I think with the qu- the question is do we end up with like three super conferences or do we still kind of keep this thing with you know five or six that are clearly above the other five or six because the argument here from Florida State and from Clemson, and I know that a couple of those other schools are trying to join into it, even though I think clearly I, I would say Clemson, Florida State, Miami are a clear gap, and then Virginia, Virginia Tech, Carolina, and NC State would be in the next tier. Some of those schools bring, bring different things uh, beyond football, but still football is what's driving this. Yeah. Um, the, the issue there is they want more money. They feel that they are the ones that drive the ACC. They are being more respectful than Texas and Oklahoma, who instead of operating in good faith with the Big 12, bolted to the conference they knew they could get the revenue increase from. Mm -hmm. So they're at least giving the ACC an opportunity. But the reality is – they're going to go where the money is. And, and that's where just about every single school that cares is going to go. They're going to go where the money is. And so the ACC, as a football conference, has had its most important programs, for the most part, fail for the last decade. Ever since Florida State won the title in 13 and then went back to the playoff in 14, they've not been the same after Jameis Winston left Florida State. So they've not been up to the Bobby Bowden standard. Miami has been the Texas of the Atlantic coast <laughs> where they've just been in constant state of, we're back now. I promise.
2: No, now we're good. No, now we're good. We're, we're going to be okay now. What, didn't they, they play Alabama in a week one game a couple of years ago and everyone's going, this is going to be the game of the year. And Alabama won by 50. Sounds about right. I mean, it's, I, it's I, been that kind of track for them. Even I mean, if that didn't exactly happen, but I think it did. And and so, Miami has not
1: lived up to the potential of that program in a very long time. Really, really, since they joined the ACC, to be quite frank. Um, You have other programs, as I mentioned, that are now six-win, seven-win programs like Pittsburgh and like Boston College, who were, again, a part of that Big East in the 80s and 90s and wherever who once they came over to the ACC kind of lost traction with their program for the most part. We talked about Matt Ryan on birthdays and sports. Boston College was top five in the country My goat. for one of those years. Uh, and since that, that's not he's been, been far from that. And so what I'm saying is for the most part, all of these programs – In opposition to the SEC, where I told you there's a lot of programs that are maybe batting above their history, which is already loftier than a lot of other histories, a lot of programs in the ACC right now are batting below their history. Really, just about all of them. Mm -hmm. I I mean, other than Clemson, I I don't know of the program that's just clearly above their historical amount of success. Um, And and so that's all playing into the ACC falling and the rankings from not only are they not even close to the SEC or the Big Ten, they're closer to something like the AAC than they are the Big Ten or SEC. Uh, they, they are kind of lumped in. Now, look, the Big 12 is about to change now that Texas and Oklahoma are going to be out of there. But, but operating under the current landscape that will exist for at least one more year, the ACC was fourth or fifth with the Pac-12. And that's a dangerous place to be in because, again, I don't think the AAC was that far behind those two conferences. And so the ACC is operating under that uncomfortable space where if you fit three 20-team conferences, they're not third. It's the SEC, it's the Big Ten, and for now it's the Big 12. Although, again, once this realignment shapes out, I think the ACC, if they just calm down, would be fine. Because the Pac-12 could lose USC and UCLA to the Big Ten, and the Big 12 is going to lose Texas and Oklahoma. I think if the ACC would just not panic, and if they could <laughs> find a way to get Notre Dame in there permanently, they would be fine. They yeah. would be number three. They would be able to get a few other leftovers, and if we're going to go down the Pangaea route, they would be a part of Pangaea. But these teams want their money now. It's my money, and I want it now. <laughs> and so that's that's a commercial I haven't seen in a long (laughs) time that's nostalgia (laughs) and so this all goes back to can you find an ounce of patience can you wait for this 12 team playoff to play out and does the ACC bend to these needs and should they bend to the needs what message does it send to the bottom four or five programs and quite frankly does the ACC even care Because what's interesting here is one school you don't see on here because they're just putrid historically in football. But if you ask the Atlantic Coast Conference who matters to you – Duke University would be pretty quickly on that list, but they mean absolutely nothing to the sport of football. They're one of the five great programs in basketball, and basketball is the other revenue-generating sport. Again, not to the level of football, but it is revenue-generating, and not many more other than Duke University can generate that kind of revenue in basketball. And so Duke means something to the ACC, but as you're hearing here, They're not a part of that party that is demanding more money and threatening to leave. And so, therefore, they're not going to be a part of the party that would benefit from a revamped, you know, paying model, uh, payout structure. And so, will they feel like they should have been included? You know, that's when you start to ask yourself, what's more important here? And I'm telling you what. Jim Phillips is going to have to walk the tightest of ropes. He's going to have to audition <laughs> for the circus because that is a lot of ego and a lot of money on the line and the livelihood of the conference. Look, it might seem it might have seemed stable three weeks ago, but it's not guaranteed to be stable the very next day. Ross Dellinger, thirty minutes ago, again following this situation, ACC officials discussed releasing a statement. In response to the situation with the seven, but quote, seven. We're, but quote, we're not unified. ACC source says, quote, we're unified until someone offers a school more to go somewhere
2: else. Everyone is going to grab it. It's it's like the alliance. You remember the alliance a couple of yeah. years ago when, <laughs> when Texas and Oklahoma joined the SEC and and what was it the, the Pac, Big Ten and Pac twelve the Big Ten and Pac twelve. We're like, hey, we're aligned. We're not gonna and then the Big Ten started poaching people. <laughs> the Big Ten aligned themselves was... by eating Pac-12 programs. Come yeah. on, yeah. on the other side. You know where I you know where I think this ends? I think it ends with two super conferences. Either Okay, so we're going two, not three. Yeah, I, I think it's either east and west or north and south. I think you can do two or you can do four. I for whatever reason I don't think three works. Because I think at some point you're going to set up a playoff system with those conferences. And you know where I hope it ends up? you have 2 to 4 mega conferences either 15 in each or something like that 15 if it's 2 so that way you have 30 teams at the top and i hope it ends up with promotion and relegation oh i i really hope that happens in american sports can you imagine if uh, let's let's just let's think about it miami and uh, i don't know give give me florida atlantic yeah florida atlantic
1: I don't know what exactly. Well, so we're going so for, let,
2: give give me two Power Five programs that are kind of hovering around 500 right now.
1: Texas Tech and yeah, Texas
2: Tech and Miami. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, those two are those two play a game at the end of the season to decide which one of them is going to stay in the Power Conferences and which one of them is going to go down. That would be electric. It's bad football, but it means something. And that's I mean that's why European soccer like every game matters because there's punishments for losing. There's no punishment for losing in college football. You st- well, other than, like, it hurts your program, it hurts recruiting, you know, things get not as easy. But, I mean, you, you st- Auburn's not going to lose revenue because they're bad. Auburn's going to be just fine next year.
1: So you, so you want... I um, want promotion summary, and relegation. So you want ma- huge conferences and you want promotion and relegation.
2: I don't know if I want that. I just think if we end up going with this huge conference model, I think that's the most effective way to do it. See, I, I'll tell you this,
1: and, you know... Hey, we have some disagreement here. Good, that's that's <laughs> hot radio. I think this urge to be like soccer in the U.S. is getting way too out of hand. Soccer system is far different because they have so many teams at a professional level, yeah. And they didn't know how the best way to sort them. I, I got really mad a few weeks ago, if you'll recall from the NBA for doing the mid-season tournament mm-hmm. because I I talked about the whole reason they do it over there in England is because they've got like 80 professional teams and they give them an opportunity <laughs> All within
2: 30 minutes of right. each other it's awesome.
1: They give them an opportunity to play each other and 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 build up for a trophy despite not actually competing with each other throughout the year it works because those teams don't see each other already throughout the course of the year that's the one time they could and they could have an opportunity to to play for something that matters in the nba these teams all play each other already and and i don't want to see the 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 g league affiliate good for birmingham i don't want to see the squadron play the pelicans i know how it's going to (laughs) go the pelicans are going to win by 30 every single time or 40 Uh, And so, soccer, because of the nature of of how uh, little it takes to win from a scoring perspective, not going to minimize the amount of running done over an hour and a half, but how one goal could win you something, whereas a sport that takes a lot more of something to win, I think it weeds out lesser teams and and that sort of thing. So that's why I don't like the the midseason tournament, and that's why I don't want to expand all that. The promotion-relegation deal is, look, it in that context, you have more of an argument because you've made something so large and then you've kind of made it so different in terms of what you play for because I guess if you're going to have 40 to 60 teams kind of represent all that matters in college football, then there's no access for the other 60 to 70 yeah everywhere from, from Fresno State to UAB to Coastal Carolina to App State to Boise State even, you know, all those programs are then just, I guess, nothings in this conference that I don't even know would operate under the FBS if you have three super conferences or two or four or whatever. Um, so I guess from that standpoint, you could have it. But I am just of the opinion that in American sports, we don't have to penalize someone for, for sucking, and especially in the college level. Where there's no benefit to you sucking already, like at least in the professional sports, you could say, "Well, if you suck, then you're tanking for a draft pick." That's how the NBA does a lottery; like it does, they don't guarantee you the first pick because you're because you suck. Sorry, Pistons. <laughs> Pistons won 17 yeah.
2: games and they're stuck with the fifth pick.
1: It's already <laughs> it's hilarious. It's already bad enough if you're in college to to lose to all your rivals before day and have a, a troublesome time to regenerate players and. I, just that stuff makes me uncomfortable. I, I think it's chaos for the sake of being chaos. It's not it's not structurally relative, as I guess, to put big words on there. It's not necessary for what you're trying to accomplish at that point. Uh, bottom line, I don't want to see the, the smaller conferences die over, overall period. I mean, right. I, I yeah. still have a name in that game. Um, I still root for UAB. I'm just gonna. I'll use UAB in Carolina, so no one wants to hit me from their car. I care just about as much about UAB and UTSA as I do North Carolina playing Virginia Tech. I do because that's how much I love UAB. That's how much I love smaller schools. I get that that is not that way for a lot of people because well, a lot of people like the big schools. That's why they're big. Uh, <laughs> you know, smaller schools are small for a reason. But I also think they should still exist I don't want them to not exist just because oh they don't matter or there's only there's can only be room for for one of us why why is there only yeah. room for one of us you know and so uh, that's where I would go with the dangers of having the big conference again I might end up in the minority there because again there's going to be a lot of schools uh, and fans of schools that don't care about the smaller schools so but I'm not going to relent my opinion. On that, just because, you know, the people at Georgia or the people at Florida, people at, at Alabama or Auburn, whoever, think that that Troy shouldn't get to play for the, in the same league as they do, you know. So, anyway, uh, that's a that's a conversation though we're having the prelude to it. But if the AC if the ACC can't keep its stuff together, <laughs> if the Pac twelve can't keep its stuff together. You get one more step closer to that mm-hmm. because the more you condense all these power programs, the 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 harder it is to feel like smaller programs can rise up and, and succeed because you've then got all the programs with all the resources in two places or three places and not spread up over five or six places. And there is less competition there because they're all – they're all together. They're not spreading themselves out five or six ways. So I I, I guess this is relevant in that I don't know if you can survive one of these conferences just, just falling completely apart. You know, if the ACC or Pac-12, because, look, kudos to the Big 12. They got out in front of it. They took the best from, from a couple of the – or from the AAC, and, and they're going to be okay now. They're not even that worried about this. But if the pac twelve or ACC fell apart, then you're really gonna start talking about the the super conference thing, and you're gonna get pretty, pretty damn condensed from that point.
2: i I think we're well on our way. I think the super conference thing is it is underway. And I think it started with Texas and Oklahoma. I think that's where it began. And to to argue again, my my point for promotion and relegation, if you do go to those major conferences, and again, every point you made is is legitimate, and there's, a ton of details that would have to be worked out if college football wanted to go that way. It's not as simple as just doing it, but I think that would open up a very. I think that would open up the opportunity for those smaller schools. Okay, congratulations, uh, South Alabama. You just got promoted because Miami was bad and you were really good. So now, congratulations, you're with the big boys. Go play with the big boys. You know, I think that would offer up that opportunity. And and again, I'm not saying this is something that I think will happen. I'm just saying I think it would be a lot of fun. If, then, if it got to that super conference point,
1: the interesting thing too, and because I can, I can hear arguments of, of people that would um, reject it. But you know, I, I would like to ask the people in England how they feel about it because they've had this for a very long time. Yeah. and maybe it's just an institution there; it's just accepted. But the way we think over here, I'll tell you what the fir- what the first pushback is going to be. And this is not even something I thought of in my own argument. It's Just I can see someone calling this program and having this argument. <clears throat> well. This team might have gone 5-7 and, and might have finished last, or, or I'll say 4-8 and, and finished last in this 16-team league or 18-team league, but look who they played. They played a bunch of big schools. South Alabama played Troy and Louisiana Monroe and Lafayette. They still wouldn't beat them. Why do they deserve to go up? Because they beat a bunch of little schools.
2: See what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. I see that mm-hmm. argument, and my argument to that is, well, congratulations. Now Miami gets to play those littler schools, and, and
1: then you rotate back up. Yeah, a year, and, but, and
2: now you can rotate back up and down. And again, they, like you just touched on, England's been doing that for a very long right. time. Every European soccer soccer playing country has been doing that for a long and time. They've and, accepted
1: it, but yeah. Again, my thing is that's when we get into the the why, What's the need? What's the purpose you're right. trying to achieve? In that, why why do you have to have uh, such a penalty for for being a weaker link in a in a huge conference and again i guess the response would be to to give the the little teams yeah. a, an what, opportunity what happens in there, when but.
2: what happens when UCF finishes 5th in in the southern conference we go oh my god UCF went on a run here now yeah. all of a sudden UCF's becoming a bigger program and the difference is professional teams you can build a core you really can't build a core at the right. college level cuz guys have 4 years 5 at most uh, to, and you can't really build around those guys, but I, I do think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting concept that I would I would be willing to hear out, and I think it would create chaos. And isn't that why we love college
1: football? <laughs> oh man, chaos! Yep, there's a lot of it around. Um, I don't know how I don't know if I can take too much of it though. I'm still a <laughs> simple man at the end of the day. We're going to take our next time out of the show. When we come back, we'll go back to the Auburn Bank phone line one more time before the end of hour number two. Stay tuned. More sports call right after this.
0: Sports Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you're currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Now back to the multi-time Abbey Award winning sports call.
1: Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brant Dontry with you here. About seven or eight minutes left in our number two. So let's head right back to the Auburn Bank phone line. And next up on the show today, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you doing? I'm good. And War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah,
4: I know that uh, y'all were talking about like uh, some of the colleges uh, actually moving from one conference to another um, with with Oklahoma and Texas coming into the SEC, um I, I mean with with uh our uh, Oklahoma and Texas coming to the SEC, I would like to see like a huge change to the SEC conference, like actually moving some schools around just to um uh, you know, just to give Uh, those two new conferences and those those two new schools to come into the SEC as well. So my changes to the SEC, I'm just, you know, speaking um, in in the near future. I would like to see Alabama move from the East to the West Division, and I would like to see Georgia move from the East Division to the Western Division as well. So that way... Uh, when Oklahoma and Texas actually plays, I would like to see Georgia and Texas play each other in a neutral fight as well.
2: Yeah, I think it's a lot more likely that you see Auburn and Alabama both move to the east, while Texas mm-hmm. and Oklahoma are, are put in the west, and I think everybody else stays about the same. Uh, I think that would probably end up being best for everybody, but don't worry, uh, I'm sure... Georgia and Texas and Oklahoma will all will all play each other pretty quickly.
4: Yes, as well because um, I haven't seen uh, a good matchup between Georgia and Texas. Um, it it could I might be wrong. I'm not quite sure if Georgia and Texas actually played each other historic wise, but I'm not quite sure on that one as well.
2: I think they met in the Sugar Bowl a couple of years ago, and Texas actually ended up winning that game. I think that was the. The first or second year of Kirby Smart at Georgia, I, I think it was sometime around that point.
4: Yeah, because I think, uh, yeah, it was during the Sugar Bowl. I think it was like Kirby Smart's second year in the Sugar yeah, Bowl. That, that
2: was Sam Ellinger.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the former Georgia head coach at the time, uh, Sam. Uh, yeah, he was
2: the he was the quarterback for Texas at, at the time. Okay.
4: Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I I was right on that one because I um actually looked at some uh, highlights in my mind of Auburn, of of Georgia and Texas with uh Sam uh Haylinger of uh the quarterback for Texas and I actually did see that game when they actually did play in uh in the Sugar Bowl for that one and I think uh Georgia won that one as well.
1: Yeah, Texas Texas won that one 28 to 21. Uh, they've met five times in their history, and the, the the most recent time before that was 1984. Georgia had their only win against Texas when they won in the Cotton Bowl 10-9. Okay, so that was uh,
4: 1984, which I wasn't, even, I wasn't even around that year, but um, I, I'll probably see that rematch sometime in the near future as well. And if Oklahoma comes to the SEC, I would like to see Auburn and Oklahoma actually play and Jordan Harris Stadium under the light you know and actually have like a classic matchup between Auburn and Oklahoma as well and in, in like the uh, classic uniforms that, they, that Auburn actually played like 1957, 1958 uniform uh, attire as well.
1: Yeah, uh, well again, Texas and Oklahoma are coming to the league so Auburn will be playing them sooner rather than later and I think everyone's excited to see what those two schools will do. What else is on your mind today?
4: Well, I'm actually um, looking at uh, who's going to win game two on the uh, playoffs, and uh, it's going to be a really good game seeing these two uh, teams actually play tonight, seeing the Boston Celtics playing against the Miami Heat. And this game is actually these two teams actually did meet in the bubble Um But I think this time around, I think Boston will take this series uh, one apiece. So I think this game would uh, favor in Boston. So I think Boston will win the first game tonight as well, and the second game as well. So this will be a 2-0 lead for the Boston Celtics as well.
1: Yeah, game one tonight between Boston and Miami. And, of course, these teams did meet in the bubble. They also met last year and went to a game seven in which – Jimmy Butler had that three at the end to try and win it and just missed it, or at least the three to go up by a couple points with 10 seconds left. So uh, we will see what happens, but that series gets underway tonight.
4: Yes, that's well because I've been looking a lot. I've been looking at these uh, different highlights on Instagram about this game tonight, and they were saying, uh, you know, different people were saying that this game was played in the bubble, which they did, and then they were saying, like, the last meeting between these two teams were like I think it was like 1985 but when I looked at it I researched it there was no game played in 1985 between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat so that was not a legit uh, team out there that played in the NBA Finals in 85 as well so I looked at all the teams that played in the 80s, and there was no teams playing in the uh, NBA Finals in 1985 as well. So I don't know where these, uh, I don't know where everybody's getting all this information from, from these uh, playoff teams. I don't even think these these people on Instagram or on Twitter, I don't think they're actual sports fans. I, I just see it's like a funny meme that they're doing with these teams as well.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know about 1985, but again, I, I just uh, I, I do know that last year they played in the Eastern Conference Finals, and uh, again, that's where they had the, the seven-game series, and, and Boston narrowly won, and and uh, we'll see how this one goes. What else is on your mind?
4: Well, I'm actually uh, looking at um, the NHL playoffs and seeing if my uh, Dallas Stars are actually going to win. I think we've. Do play tonight, so I'm uh, not tonight, but tomorrow I'm just keeping my hopes alive and seeing if we're going to win the Stanley Cup playoff against the Las uh, Vegas Golden Knights, and um, we're taking that first game to uh, Las Vegas, and I'm just going to see if um, if Lady Luck will be on my side for this game tomorrow.
1: Yeah, so tomorrow's game will be the Hurricanes and Panthers in the Eastern Conference, and then the first Stars game with the Golden Knights is on Friday, and then they'll play every other day. So it'll be Friday, Sunday, and then then they'll go from there.
4: Okay, so I'm actually going to be watching the Hurricanes and seeing if they're going to win, and then um, I'm going to just see if my Dallas Stars are actually going to deal me the right cards for um, Friday as well.
1: Yeah, we we will see. Uh, we will see. Any final thoughts today before we got to go to our next commercial break, James?
4: Um, I don't have any final thoughts except for to see. Actually, I do have one final thought to see my Texas Rangers play tonight and beat the Atlanta Braves tonight. So I'm keeping my hopes alive for my Texas Rangers tonight and seeing if we're going to win at home again.
1: Yeah, the uh, the winner of tonight's game will win the series as uh, both teams have won a game and. Uh, We'll see how the rubber match goes tonight.
4: All right. Sounds good. And War Eagle.
1: War Eagle, James. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Appreciate his phone call right there. We are out of time for our number two. We'll talk a little bit about those Atlanta Braves in our number three and much, much more. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call right here on Tiger 95.9.
0: Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started.
1: One more hour of Sports Call starting right now on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brent Dontry with you here on this Wednesday, middle of the week. Hope you've been having a good start to your week want to remind you about what comes up towards the end of the week, which is Auburn softball in the regional in Clemson, South Carolina. Uh, Of course, playing Cal State Fullerton. That's going to be about a four thirty first pitch, 4.15 airtime here on Tiger 95.9, so we are planning for only a one-hour show on Friday. If something egregious changes that, we will let you know. There's some sort of big weather delay or that sort of thing, but even if it even if airtime ends up being four fifteen or four twenty five or four thirty instead of four fifteen, that sort of thing, we're going to plan on being off air at four o'clock on Friday to make way for Auburn softball as they take on Cal State Fullerton. Talked a little bit about it each of the other two days. Want to give Brant an opportunity to give his uh, pitch as to why Auburn did not uh, get uh, get favored by <laughs> the NCAA tournament committee, uh, of course. Uh, different, just difficult circumstance all the way around for the draw that Auburn has.
2: Yeah, it's it's so dumb. Um, we'll we'll start with Alabama, and I hate to start with Alabama, but I do feel like it's it's super egregious and needs to be talked about. Alabama was the fifth seed in the Southeastern Conference, they, by record, the fifth best team in the SEC. So either that means. The five best teams in the SEC are the five best teams in the country, or Alabama's being favored for some reason. And, and, and I don't know what that reason is. I know Alabama softball is very good. They have been very good for a long time. But this year they are pretty good. They're not great. They're above average, but they are just good. They do not, under any circumstance, deserve to be a five seed. Auburn finished third in the Southeastern Conference, and they're not hosting. Auburn not hosting a regional after (laughs) – I saw this stat the other day. I think Auburn won 15 games in conference play this year. I can't remember what their exact record was, but they won, I think, 15 games. They're the first team in 11 years to win 15 games in the Southeastern Conference and not host a regional. Teams 1 and 2 and teams 4 and 5 are hosting. Auburn at 3 is having to go to Clemson. That's screwy. That's, that's a little messed up. Um, and I, I'm not saying what teams should be out or in because I'll, I'll let my personal bias get in the way and say, well, Alabama shouldn't be hosting, even though I don't. I, I don't think they should be, but someone's going to accuse me of bias and I don't want to open that door. So, Auburn should be hosting a regional because the, te- the two teams above them and the two teams below them are hosting. And if 4 and 5 in the SEC are hosting a regional then 3 needs to be hosting a regional too because because you're saying that preconceived notions of these teams matter more than the actual results that played out on the field that's stupid that's beyond stupid and and man i auburn softball got screwed and it sucks to have followed these girls as much as we have to, because you know we board op these games, someone has to be in studio. It's it's usually one of us three or or Cam Barry, uh, who who comes in and board ops these games that Britt calls. So we followed this team as close as uh, pretty much anybody, and to watch this team go from man, they had kind of a shaky start, kind of an iffy start to the to the conference schedule, but then they really turned it on towards the end of the conference schedule, beat Alabama two t- two games out of three. Uh, and and just man it 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 sucks it sucks what happened to to auburn softball
1: yeah I think we've all had varying uh, arguments there of, um, of of why that was just not correct and how that was handled um, you know I used the the example yesterday again to reiterate it that you know i I I definitely think Alabama should have hosted regional first and foremost. I, I don't think that there was a, a, a huge doubt in that, although if you listen listened to the Beth Moens and the crew doing the game that um, Montana Faust got hurt, you they wondered if her getting hurt and having an unknown status for the tournament would influence how they m- might not end up hosting because they're not going to be a known commodity if she she is injured because she's obviously so important to what they do. She's been one of the top pitchers in softball for a long time. Um, So still resume side with the RPI, with what they did in the non-conference, being fifth in the SEC is still meaningful. I thought they were a top 16 team. However, what my beef was, as it pertained to Alabama was. And it's not even that Auburn should be ranked above them, even though people can argue, you know, beat them two out of three in Tuscaloosa and and finished a game ahead of them in the SEC standings, all fair points. I think that's where the, the non con came in. But my point was just simply if you value Alabama as the number five team in the entire country that that is a very meaningful series win that Auburn had that should have bolstered a resume that was right on the border of being able to host. If they beat the number five team in the country at their place, that's about as good of a series win as you can have. There's only four better. <laughs> you could beat it, which or, no one or, or beat or Oklahoma. so they, say. So they right? say. You can't beat Oklahoma in a series. They lost one game this year. So there's only actually three better series that were even possible to have won this year. And so that should have meant something – and also just the fact that, that you rely so much on non-conference games that happened back 40 games ago as the or 30 games ago, that the, this is who they are because they did this in February, March, completely disqualifying the possibility that teams can improve and or not improve and, and, and that sort of thing that goes out throughout the college season. So uh, to couple that with, all right, not only are they on the road now. But they got the number 17 seed, essentially, in the country. What does that mean? It means if they do win the regional, they're going to play Oklahoma. And, you know, Jeff called in yesterday talking about, well, if so you got to beat Oklahoma to win the title, why does it matter? Well, it matters still because you want to make a college world series. You going, going
2: to Omaha, you hang a banner for that. Well, yeah, you can absolutely hang Oklahoma a City for making it to there. Yeah, Oklahoma yeah. City for the Oklahoma City. Women. You're right. My bad.
1: Um, but you, the also the hope is that if you play long enough, maybe someone else can knock out Oklahoma. Not likely. I think Oklahoma will win the title. I don't think you have to even be casual to think that Oklahoma is going to win the title in softball. Again, they lost once this year, and they play plenty of teams in non-conference. That was not an unproven once. They played Auburn twice and and beat them handily twice. So that's why I feel confident no matter, you know, how much I like what Matty Pinta has done and and what Auburn's done, the winner of the Clemson Regional is not getting past Oklahoma. It's not going to happen. So it is unfortunate that Auburn is not only not hosting but they're also limited in their ability to make any sort of run in softball. So, look, that was going to happen to someone. Someone was going to have to be the 16. Someone was going to host a regional, and someone was going to be 17. That happens every year where 17 is going to feel like they should have hosted instead of the team that they're having to now go to. But on the heels of a resume that I thought was about the 12th or 13th best resume in the country – Versus now the impact of not being able to host and now having to align with Oklahoma in a super, uh, it's a dreadful outcome for Auburn. Bottom line, at the at the end of the day, no matter how unjust it feels, it is just borderline. It's just going to be awful for them. Um, now they might get through Clemson, uh, they might get through this regional, and then they'll have Oklahoma and and look if they were the 16th seed to be the same dynamic just. And in, in Auburn. Auburn would get the host. That would improve their chances a little bit. They'd still play Clemson because Clemson's clearly the, the team that they matched up with Auburn, 16 versus 17. Um, and so who knows? But Auburn would get the home home field advantage there, and then they'd still go on to play Oklahoma. But it is, uh, it's a tough process, tough, tough pills to swallow for them uh, because they clearly played their best softball towards the end of the year. Then also just the heartbreaking note of, all right, now you if you get to ask the committee – if they get one more out against South Carolina, is that the difference here? When it's two to one Auburn in the semifinal of the SEC tournament, Shelby Lowe throws a one one pitch that may not even be a strike. It's on the outside corner, down and away. It's a great pitch. And it's hit two hundred and forty feet for a home run. Is that the difference in you hosting or not after all that time? I don't know. Uh that would be would love to um get to ask those questions. Fortunately not in the position. I- to do that
2: I think that's the most heartbreaking thing about it is everyone pretty much universally agrees that Auburn kind of got the short end of the stick here and now no one gets to ask why these people who made these decisions are not going to be held accountable or even it, it, no one's going to be able to ask the question hey what was the difference? why did you decide this why did the two teams that finish the two spots below you get to host a regional? Why is the number five team in the country? the number 5 seed in their own conference, those questions are not going to be asked. And, it, you know, the fact that they can make these decisions and they don't have to answer those questions, I think, is the worst part about it.
1: Unfortunate situation, but uh, nevertheless, uh, we will follow this Auburn softball team to the end as they take on Cal State-Floriton first up and the Clemson Regional, again, 4-15 airtime. So we'll have a shortened show on Friday again, unless there's some sort of weather dynamic or a, an extra inning game or or anything that, that greatly changes that game time. We're going to go ahead and take our first time out of our number three. Back for more Sports Call after this.
0: don't want to call into the show send us your thoughts via email you've got mail sports call at the tiger.fm now back to auburn's first and auburn's favorite sports talk show sports call
1: Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brent Dauntry with you here this afternoon. I want to remind you that all of our Sports Call callers and guests join us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Auburn Bank has been your hometown bank for over 110 years. Visit them online at auburnbank.com for more information, your partner, your neighbor, your friend, member, FDIC, equal housing lender, Give us a call to join Sports Call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn Bank is our proud sponsor of the Sports Call phone line. Let's talk some Atlanta Braves here as we start to get to the, the waning moments of the show. Braves had a four-game losing streak to end last week, got back on track Monday night in Texas but then faltered again last night. In the stretch of playing some good American League teams, in particular American League East teams, uh, last week and then uh, now going into the American League West as they play the Rangers and then they'll play the Mariners right after this. Again, just kind of playing all these teams right now from the opposite league that uh, they've already had enough series against them to – kind of overwrite what would have been typical of uh, the former schedule before they they balanced it out and you play everybody now. They played a lot of these American League teams already. And, and really those, were, for the most part, have been the ones that, that have tripped them up a lot. Um, they've they've uh, Other than really the Padres, they, they've not had much success against – or excuse me, there's not been many National League teams that have had success against them, but the American League teams are, are fearing – pretty well the injuries have stacked up uh with max Fried, with uh kyle wright um you know really i i think that this lineup has gotten pretty much healthy and whole but now you've got a couple of pitching issues you've also got the issue of you've blown a lot of saves so far aj Minter, when he was filling in blew, blew a few and then rossel glacius already blew one in his brief time back so is there anything uh, other than injuries that concern you, Brant? Or it, do you think this is a matter of, you know, pitching is going to be stretched a little thin while these starters are out? But ultimately, you think uh, think that's going to be okay.
2: I think ultimately the Braves are going to be fine. I think they're constructed to to win long term. Injuries, I mean, nobody's constructed to win through this many injuries. You know, your you're starting pitchers. It's impossible to plan for injuries. Your starters are your starters for a reason. You can't really have two starters at the same spot. Uh, And so, uh, I about said Auburn. So the Braves dealing with these starting pitcher injuries is going to hurt. You're going to stretch that bullpen a little bit. I'm not super concerned about A.J. Menser. I think he's just more comfortable in that setup role. I think he'll be fine once he gets back into that more consistently. Rysel Iglesias, yes, he did blow a save. He also got a save in his first appearance, so... I need to see him blow more before I start to get really concerned about it. Uh, but it, the injuries, I think, are the most concerning thing. That, and to me, Austin Riley is on one of the longer slumps of his career. I don't know if I've seen him struggle like this. I understand he hit a home run last night, uh, and hopefully that's the beginnings of him breaking out of it. But he's been he's been a little lower. His batting average is sitting at, what, 240 right 230s. now? 230s. 230s, yeah. So I, I – I expect him to be closer to 270. He's more of that type of hitter, and, and to have 30 home run power, at high 20s if not to 30, and that's the kind of hitter I expect him to be, and a, a really solid defensive third baseman as well, and so far he's been just a little bit under what I've expected from him. Not a not bad per se, but not a guy who was you know, beating on the door of the MVP conversation a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, this Braves team, so they they played game 42 last night. So if we talked about it uh, yesterday, we could have said that they had just uh, gotten the official quarter poll of the season. You can kind of times everything by four, and that's what what everyone is on track to do ultimately. Um, Been really impressed with the power for a lot of these guys. Acuna looks like he's got it back at his 10th last night, so he's on pace for about 40 now. Albee's his 10 homers, 30 knocked in. Olsen has a low batting average, but 11 homers uh, on the season. Then Sean Murphy's been a pretty good complete hitter. Uh, he's actually leading the team in RBIs to go along with his 10 home runs.
2: Sean Murphy's been the best acquisition of the offseason by far. and We were all kind of I, I, I don't want to say belly aching, but kind of lamenting the loss of William Contreras. Well, you've gotten a guy in here who's going to be an all-star. This guy's been fantastic. Yeah.
1: Uh, the The complete play of Murphy because even to, you know, Contreras might in his career put up some pretty good offensive numbers, but he was never going to be the defensive catcher that Sean Murphy can be too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you do have Travis Starno coming back from injury, and uh, he'll be catching uh, tonight. The, the pitching thing is the most concerning because of just be, becoming hopefully not a war of attrition with your starters. You can survive a couple of bullpen injuries better than you can usually survive a couple of starter injuries. Just do the nature of what you're asking those those roles to do. And of course, they did have the injury to Iglesias to start the year. They also had Colin McHugh out for a little while. But Max Freed's going to miss a couple months. And Kyle Wright's going to miss a couple months. These are not a plug-and-play thing. Um, so it was relevant to have a little better Start last night by Schuster. You're going to need Schuster or Dodd or even if Soroka ever gets the call, one of those guys is going to have to at least keep you in some games. I'm not going to expect Bryce Elder numbers. I'm not going to expect the RA's in the twos when they're pitching, but something in the high threes or low fours just to give you a chance uh, at the back end of the rotation because, uh, I mean, you got Strider, you got Morton, and then you've been very blessed to have Bryce Elder pitch so well. You know, that may not be a given that he does that all year long. Uh so the starting pitching is the is the, the top concern for me right now. And hopefully Freed does come back. It is a situation where, you know, that's the precursor injury to needing Tommy John is the injury that he has. He had Tommy John back about a decade ago. And if this thing does take two plus months and you get to July the Braves will have to have an honest conversation and assess the likeliness that he's back, the likeliness that he can pitch well when he is back. And if they need to have a contingency plan to where they might have a very obvious need at the deadline of of acquiring a starter. Now, the other context to Atlanta right now, as we're kind of going down the doom and gloom side of things, but uh, they still have a modest lead in the NL East very early. uh, So that, that is one thing, but, if the Phillies and Mets, who still figured to be the best competition for the Braves, despite the Marlins five hundred start, the Phillies are twenty and twenty two, six back, and the Mets just lost three out of four to Washington inexplicably, and are twenty and twenty three and they're six and a half back. So
2: the Mets are having their late season collapse in May. May. It's yeah. been it's been interesting to they, watch.
1: They've been very slow out of the gates. So the good news is that Braves, it does not, at the minimum, it does not appear that any of their opponents are going to go win 9,800 games. Okay. They're not going to have to play at the pace they played at the first four weeks of the year where the Braves looked like they could win 110. Um, you know, they're not going to have to do that to win this division. Would that be fun, though? Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it is going to be. It's just going to be something to watch, and it's going to put stress on the starters that do remain not having Freed and Wright in there for for such an extended period of time. So that would be the thing I would worry about. But again, a lot. You know, the positives. Love what I've seen from Acuna. He has been uh, MVP level. Yeah. In fact, I think I saw. Uh, I can't remember one of the baseball guys I follow said the clear National League MVP right now is Ronald Acuna Jr. He's hitting uh, like
2: 340. Yeah, three forty. 340, Ten homers and
1: seventeen steals. is yeah. second in major league baseball.
2: He's been incredible. He he looks like what we th- what his potential has yes. been this whole time. Yes. And if he never got held back by injury, you know this is what we've been wanting from him.
1: You know the the like what we've seen obviously from Murphy. Uh, I would love to, this conversation creeps up every so often. It's like a twice a year conversation, but you know Ozzy Albee's having in totality a good year so far. But again, the splits, as a right-handed hitter versus as a left-handed hitter, That's are incredible. still just so. And you know, we we're talking about ceiling and floors. And hour number one about Auburn football, it's the ceiling for Albies is a right-handed hitter. He's like a three forty hitter with yeah, he's power. A, he's
2: another MVP level uh, player.
1: As a left-handed hitter, you know he is – incredibly average. He's I, even. It may, I mean, maybe even below average because I mean he hits like two hundred. And uh, now he yeah. he does hit for a little power still. Um, but I, I it is it is interesting how he just he just does not hit as a lefty well, and I wonder, you know, that they, they're aware. And and Kevin Sides, for the hitting coach, was asked about it, and he said that they're going to keep doing what they're doing with Ozzy. That this is a conversation that happens every so often. It's just a part of it. But I, I would love to see Ozzy hit right hand against right. The whole what, time. My only question is, would it? would it work the way we think it would? Like, Is there going to be an adjustment for him? Because when he's right-handed, he's used to the ball coming from Mm -hmm. a a certain plane and breaking a certain way. It's going to come into him. It's not going to go away. So if he hit right-handed against righties, those pitches will start to go away from him. And will that be a different dynamic? It could be. And we might be fooling ourselves into thinking that he's going to maintain a similar pace as he hits right-handers. There's a clear reason he became a switch hitter to begin with. Um, and, and so maybe the, maybe we are overestimating the, the difference in right-handed and left-handed pitching. But uh, the, the, the contrast is stark, and it's so interesting because I don't know of too many people that have such a, a, a difference. I mean, again, it's over 100 points, the batting average, between both sides of the plate.
2: Yeah, I'd be really interested to see Ozzy try that. And it, like you said, we talk about it every so often because the splits are so dramatic. I, yeah, but 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 also he's been a switch hitter for so long. Like you said, he would it, there would be such an incredible adjustment period. Is it worth trying to adjust at this point? Um, I think yes because I think his potential from the right side is so high. Um, but if he's just more comfortable looking at it from the left side, then you know I. I And again, Ozzie Albies knows more about batting uh, for Ozzie Albies than we do. Kevin Seitzer knows more about it than we do. And and like you said, Kevin Seitzer has said we've talked about it and we're just going to stick with it like it is for now. I think it's open. I think I would like to see it. But I'm not going to waste too much time thinking about it. I'm just going to enjoy it every time the Braves face a lefty
1: want a weird statistical oddity about uh, the NL East real quickly.
2: I love those. Go for it.
1: Um, do you know who has the second worst – or, excuse me, the worst run differential in the National League?
2: Uh, I would assume the Nats based on what I know, but based on the way you phrased the question, I'm going to go with the Phillies.
1: Correct division, but it's actually the second-place Marlins. Really? They have the very worst run diff in the National League. It's minus 55. No one else is worse than minus thirty three, and believe this or not, <laughs> the sample sizes are great.
2: So the, wait, you said the na- the whole National League? Yeah,
1: really. The worst team in run diff is the White Sox, uh, and second worst is the Royals, and then the the Marlins would be. No, I'm sorry, the A's are by far the worst. I'm sorry, I ignored go. the third difference, <laughs> uh, the the third digit there. Good, the, God, La- guys. the Las Vegas
2: the A- Athletics, the A's.
1: Oh, God, I have to process this. I'm sorry. Okay, I just told you the second worst run diff in the entire Major League Baseball is the White Sox at minus 66. That's a lot. The A's is minus 159.
2: Damn. It's almost 100 <laughs> runs worse than second that's, worst. That's, that feels like manufactured apathy. Like they're just like see Oakland Oakland doesn't care about us because they're not they're a bad fan base. No, they don't care about you cuz you suck and you're sucking on purpose. 10 to justifying the move to Las, to Las Vegas.
1: 10 and 34. One other fun
2: run diff wow. thing to take you to
1: break. So I told you again the Marlins are 21 and 21 but their run diff is minus 55. The Cardinals <laughs> have to feel slighted. They're 17 and 26. Their run diff is p- plus 6. Wow.
2: Did the Braves have something like that a couple of years ago? They were hovering around 500, but their run differential was like plus 20.
1: Yeah. Well, at least that—I mean, down the line that would make sense because 500 team would be kind of close to zero. But um, nine under 500 with a positive run differential That's in 43 games. Wild. So a lot of blowouts—or excuse me, uh, a lot of blowouts when the Cardinals win—and a lot of close losses. Going to take you to break right now. When we come back, start to wrap up the show. A little more time with us. Stay tuned. More sports call right after this.
0: sports call crew wants to hear from you give us a phone call at 334-887-3401 this is andy burcham voice of the auburn tigers and you're listening to sports call on tiger 95.9
1: Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, the Tiger Communications app. Of course, we have had a problem with our stream today on, on Mixler, uh, which we have sometimes for um, online streaming, and I uh, hope to get that back up and working tomorrow. Uh, as I had a couple problems with that this week, we certainly apologize for that. If you ever miss anything, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. Another 10 or so minutes with you here on this Wednesday. Uh, of course, Auburn baseball coming up as uh, f- three game set against Missouri, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Appreciate Thor for calling us, uh, grabbing tickets to the Auburn baseball game on Saturday, uh, a sold-out game on Saturday. I believe Friday they're going to fly the Eagle again. Uh, so that's something to look forward to this weekend and – of course, uh, what a job that uh, Butch Thompson and company have done, uh, revitalizing the season—a season which halfway through we've come up with the scenarios of how what Auburn needed to do. To first and foremost make sure they were good for Hoover, but then secondly, just scratch and claw their way into the NCAA tournament. Now they are clearly a two seed in the NCAA tournament. You look at different mocks today; one had them paired with five seeded overall Stanford. Another had them paired with, I think, nine-seeded Coastal Carolina. And uh, just like softball, one service had them paired with Clemson, (laughs) uh, who would be the the eight seed. But uh, as you can hear, they're kind of in the middle of two seeds there with kind of all those high single-digit numbers. And uh, if Auburn sweeps Missouri, makes a big run in the SEC tournament, you never know. Uh, I'm not going to put it past them, but, again, I think that – Lose one – I mean, just anything, anything early will kind of take them out of that dream scenario of, of the stars aligning and, and, and hosting. But right now they are about the 25th best team in the country if you're looking at these mock uh, mock tournament brackets. So if they can go on a run in the SEC tournament, you know, look, you get a lot of great opportunities, and their RPI is in the low 20s now. So, again, it's it's not impossible, but it's very narrow path. And just the fact that you can even mention that in a valid sentence – Again, after what was going on a month ago, uh, impressive turnaround.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, super impressive turnaround. I, I think I've mentioned it on this show. I'm not sure, but I, I can't remember what series that made me do it, but I kind of just wrote this season off for Auburn baseball. I just kind of said, well, this is a bad season. Injuries got in the way. Bullpen's just not very good. Going to have to reload, rebuild, and come back stronger next year, which I fully trusted Butch Thompson to do. I think Butch Thompson's proven himself. But, man, the turnaround has been incredible. Uh, you, Tommy Vale has been incredible. I think he's been the centerpiece of it at that starting position, starting pitcher position. But I think everybody, every member of that pitching staff, has really turned it on. When earlier in the year they just were not good, um, but man, they've really come on, taking four out of six from the two best teams in the country uh, at the time. I, I know LSU's kind of slipped a little bit, but they were number one and number two at the time when you played them. So going from me kind of giving up on the season, I'm sure a lot of other Auburn fans doing the same, to beating the top two teams in the country and sweeping Ole Miss in Oxford is really, really impressive. And like you said, Auburn is now firmly a two-seed. If the season ended today, they would be one of the two-seeds. And from from where they were to where they are has been incredible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A few minutes left to end the show. Uh, Again, got – A full show tomorrow, Friday's show will be shortened because of Auburn softball. Uh, So I don't want to forget about that. Last few minutes here going to change up a little bit. I just want to mention the NBA process last night of the draft lottery. Uh, Not even the game. Yes, because we're more enamored with with draft things because apparently Victor Womenana is going to be like I don't know. The 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 second coming uh, at, at this point. <laughs> I mean that's that's how they they flew, I don't know if you saw this. They flew Brian Windhorse, an NBA reporter, to France <laughs> for a 2:30 a.m. interview France time, French time, for a 90-second interview. Yeah. Like can you co- can you comprehend that? Your work assignment. You will fly ac- across the globe for a minute and a half of material <laughs> at 2 something in the morning.
2: Just, it's incredible the hype behind this kid, right? I Is he the most hyped prospect of all time? Is is the hype for Victor Wimanyama probably, is it bigger to you than the hype for LeBron James? No. No? You don't I, think so? I, I think Because I, I was not paying attention yeah. when LeBron was a high schooler. I think people
1: forget LeBron's hype. And maybe it's just because LeBron has lived up to it so thoroughly. Yeah. That you then kind of say, oh, well, he kind of did what he was expected to do. Yeah. You people expected him to be an all-time great as a 17-year-old. So yeah, there was a lot of hype. He was. I think think the quote or the saying was if he was not... uh, If there is not um, a Hall of Fame career there, then he would have been a bust. If he did not make the Hall of Fame, he was going to be a bust. So that expectation does not get put placed on really anybody. And I know Wembyana is a big deal and social media can play a part in that. Yeah.
2: I think social media is a big part of you since you just touched on it. Social media has been Twitter has been ablaze with the potential of this kid. He's 7'5". five. <laughs> can you wrap your head around that being 7 feet tall and 5 inches? That's insane. <laughs> That's an insane height and he can shoot and he can dr- he can do everything. At a height that makes no sense.
1: Yeah, look, I know he does things that are uh, are special, and he does things that, from that standpoint, we've never seen. Because these long, lanky guys are—they're starting to come around more. Uh, Chet Holmgren, big deal in last year's class, of course, never played because of his injury. He's sustained from the get-go,
2: which is probably the biggest concern with women. Yeah. Yama
1: um, been enamored with someone like Durant for a long time because mm-hmm. he's 6'11", and he just glides and great jump shooter. So these frequently long guys that have skill sets that say they should be six inches shorter than what they are are very appealing. But there's risk with anybody. And I've, I've seen all the women Yana tape, and I see why people are obsessed. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, there's the same concerns with him that there would be with just about any other player. And I know this is probably not cool to do this with, with every single guy that's large. But at seven five, there's going to be injury concerns there. Yeah. That's a big human being. That's a lot of weight and a lot of force. Why do you think... I know he's in a different body, but why do you think Zion is hurt all the time? Because no one that is that heavy should be able to jump that high and land that hard with that much athleticism. It is, it is a unicorn property. That's why he's Zion Williamson. But there is a price for that. And there could be a price for Wimbignana. He is 7'5". He it's... brings the ball up the court. He catches the rebound. He shoots a three gets his own rebound and puts it back in
2: without having to take a dribble yeah without without leaving without leaving the floor and without having to put the ball down it's in, it's incredible
1: and so there are things that clearly um, he is that makes him special but those very things that make him special could make him injured or, or injury prone or or have challenges unforeseen that we don't think about because we're not used to it. So I have the – this is not a when Binyan is going to be a bust podcast here. <laughs> but what this is is that I'm not comfortable really with almost anybody that's 17, 18, 19 years old placing the qualifier of this is a sure bet Hall of Famer. It's sports. There's nothing sure about it. That's why we do it. That's why we play it on the field. That's why we don't just – Put all the names on a roster and say, hey, this is who's going to win the title. Here's your trophy. You know, there's a lot of great players in the NBA and there's a lot of teams that intend to win a title. That's the goal of a professional sport. And it doesn't work out for so many teams because there's unforeseen circumstances. There's more to it than just talent. And so when Mignon is going to have. The expectations of someone that we've not seen since LeBron. Again, I think LeBron's were as high or higher, so I'm not going beyond LeBron. We're going back 20 years. We're going LeBron. (laughs) But at the same time, I'm not going to bet on his career. I'm not going to bet on not four, not five, not six. I'm not going to bet on the MVPs or what he's going to be because we'd never know. Uh, we never truly know, but I can tell you the hype is there. I can tell you the excitement's there. Um, This—I don't know if you saw last thing that we got to do. TV guy and get out of here is the Spurs. I think he was assistant GM. I don't think he's actually the GM. I think he's just up in, up in their scouting department somewhere. The the scream of joy that he <laughs> let out when they won the pick when they won the lottery, is evidence for how much these teams believe in him. How much they value the kid. And again, I'm just trying to serve it as a slightly cautionary tale that this guy could be an awesome player. Like He could be a six-time All-Star, and there will be people that will be disappointed in that because that's how high they put in the expectations for him. And that's a dangerous game. And I'm not saying we can't ever put expectations on these guys because someone's got to be expected to do something, right? But again, that's it's an astronomical level, and I'm just cautioning some people: don't get your hopes up and think that this is going to be one of the five best players of all time because that's essentially
2: what you're expecting
1: that kid to be. Yeah.
2: Can I can I sunshine pump real quick? Yeah. One little stat. Uh, the two number one picks in the history of the San Antonio Spurs, David Robinson and Tim Duncan, and now Victor Wembanyama.
1: Yeah, the Spurs have had some fortune let's, in there. Let's see, they've had some fortune there, no doubt. And um, there was a lot I could talk about, but with the lottery last night, um, we joked about the Pistons. Unfortunately, they still have to exist.
2: Seventeen games for pick number five. Yep. When, it's, when it's thought order. that only three players are there, that are going to be immediately contributing. Yep. And friends? God, I love the NBA lottery. That's, that's why we don't <laughs> tank, friends. That's why we try to do our best. That's why
1: it's there. At the end of the day. All right, about out of time for the show. Time for Nightly TV Guide.
0: Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide.
1: Sports Calls Nightly TVI presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. No music because we got to go through it quickly. D.C. United plays Philadelphia Union 630 in the MLS on FS1. Atlanta Braves play the Texas Rangers 705 Bally Sports South. 730 TNT Miami Heat Boston Celtics game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. Looking forward to it. If you go to game seven in both series, 14 straight nights of basketball at 730 each and every night in the NBA. So 730 there will be basketball for the foreseeable future two movie picks for you seven o'clock on fx it's the original iron man and nine o'clock a little late night action 21 jump street on paramount and that is sports calls nightly tv guide it's a great nightly Clark tv seltzer. guide it's a great lineup well he did a good job you know when he puts nba on there i like i like him <laughs> just a little bit better uh and and that is the nightly tv guide presented by white claw hard seltzer Brant, thank you for being here today, sir. We will see you again tomorrow. Thank you for having me. And of course, as always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For Brant Daughtry, my name is Ryan the Boy. Have a great Wednesday night, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.